0: hey friends welcome to the tennis and bagels podcast my name is andre and i'm here with owen today uh we're gonna chat about tennis it's been a while i was supposed to be here last episode but he actually ended up doing it with the uh, about above dal potro who seemingly retired hopefully not but also best of uh best of luck for him like in whatever he decides to do um how are you doing owen <laughs>
1: i'm doing well um it's funny you should bring up del potro because the the piece of like del potro fiction uh you wrote for popcorn tennis was one of the coolest things i've ever read oh thank Um, you and and if you haven't read that you should go check that out it's a fantastic piece of writing um but it's good to be here yeah there's um there's been a lot of tennis recently i've um kind of been suffering from that usual uh burnout after the australian open um but i've watched some of it it's been exciting um Mm. so yeah
0: yeah um the only reason why i haven't suffered all that much is because felix was playing and he did really well so uh, so that's something that is exciting for me to 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 follow but other than that i'm just kind of other the rankings and stuff i just really i just found out the mavedev could overtake djokovic and it doesn't make me more excited to watch dubai It's, it's just a thing that could happen yeah I am just patiently waiting for Indian Wells in Miami, and mostly actually just patiently waiting for the clay court season, to be fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so I was talking about this on Twitter yesterday, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, I haven't thought about it that much, but like, why are Indian Wells in Miami on hard court, or like, why do they exist at all? Because the, the main hard court event has happened. It's the Australian Open. Yeah. The next major isn't until the French Open, which is on clay. So why are we having more big hardcore defense in that interim? It makes no sense to me. It's kind of the same thing with like after Wimbledon, there are some little clay court events. I'm like, what, what is the point of these? Like, what are they preparing anyone for?
0: I don't know. Like my only thoughts about those, well, the the tournaments that are small, like the two fifties on clay. It's just that it's a reason to, for players to like get a title Mm -hmm. and and get some play on just kind of, because at that point of the year, I guess if you didn't do extremely well, like you're probably not going to be doing all that well, like until the end of the year. So I feel like it's going to it'd be a good time for players to just like, you know what, I'm probably just here. Let's, let's try my luck on 250s. No, um, I, I mean, it yeah.
1: definitely makes sense to me why players would play them. I'm, yeah. I'm just more questioning why they exist in the first place or yeah, exist for sure. In this form. I mean, I know you have uh, Larry Ellison, who's very rich, um, but like why? Why is it not structured perfectly? Um, I know. Yeah. Like I would be fine if there were like a long break and then and then just start with like Monte Carlo or something, or just have like two fifties on clay until Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, that's that's my mini rant. Um, yeah. but I was thinking about that recently.
0: Yeah. would you imagine if it just had like a mid-season break? It's just kind of like a month with like, no tennis and that's it, and then just I feel like players would some of some of the players would probably be happy because they would just be like, oh, I'm just gonna rest until clay court season. Because honestly, like after Click, when Click Court season starts, is, that's basically the bulk of like tennis. Cause it's like rolling out like Clay Court and Wimbledon, and then like immediately have like Cincinnati and Montreal or in Canada, yep. and, and then the US. So there's like a long stretch of a lot of tennis to be played.
1: It really is. When I talk about the calendar to my friends who don't really follow tennis, I'm like, yeah, so you have the off season, and then you have one major in January and February, and then you have like a five month break. And then you have like three more majors all in a space of two months and they go, yeah. wow, that's a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, they should probably be spread out more. Um, mm. But you know, the, tel- the tennis calendar is weird and we put up with it anyway, because we love this amazing and horrifically run sport. So.
0: Yeah. It's very oddly run for 2022. I feel like the, they, I'm not saying that they missed the boat to like organize it better, but like they are definitely sluggishly slow <laughs> to actually like, Take care of organizing this better.
1: To be fair, yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like since I've become a tennis fan, it's like there's something there's something new that's weird every year that I notice. Um, (laughs) like I I don't know. I mean, this year I'll probably uh, complain about you know the year-end finals again. Um, you know that should probably what you were saying about having a month off in the middle of the year. Like totally have that, and if you pay the players like a salary during that, then you have a perfect system, um, yeah. but you should really have the year end finals after a break um, oh that yeah, would, that would sure. make it so much better for everyone involved,
0: yeah, especially because like the end finals are right after a Masters 1000 event, which is the most insane thing that you could have possibly asked for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and the fact that like, they're so soon after the US Open kind of makes me think, why does anyone care about this? Um, Mm -hmm. Sort of like within that Indian Wells Miami thing, like, the main event has happened, like it's over everything else until the next major just seems kind of, kind of like icing or gravy. And not that they aren't big titles, but because they are but it feels like they're trying to pretend to be something more. Uh, and I just don't really buy that.
0: Well, they both claim to be the fifth major, right? So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm like, it's... what fifth major? There is no fifth major. You're worth exactly as much as all the other Masters 1000s in the case of Indian Wells. Um, Including Monte battles.
0: Carlo, who has a third of the draw size of <laughs> Indian yeah, and, Wells. Yeah, and... and it's
1: like not mandatory, even though yeah. it's also a thousand points. I mean, it's stuff like this that is yeah. just bizarre. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we could, I think we had a podcast last year where we just kind of ranted about the calendar for an hour and a half, probably. and that was fun, uh, <laughs> but we should probably talk about tennis that's happened.
0: Yes, um, things, things happen, and uh, n- new, <laughs> old problems, new prospects coming into <laughs> it. Carlos Alcaraz has won a 500 um, ATP event, and so did Felix, um, who not only did win a 500 event, but he also won his first um, two weeks ago at by now, so... But he backed it up really nicely with the uh, final <laughs> right after, yeah. to which he lost to Rublev, um, Owen's most uh, exciting player in his book, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I want to say, first of all, I personally, I have nothing against Rublev. I just yeah. think um, his ceiling is lower than a lot of other players.
0: Yeah. It's just, he's just maximized his, his mm-hmm. game to be able to win a lot of the matches that he should win.
1: <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, he was. Um, I was impressed with how he beat Felix because he yeah. he served for it, got broken, and then Felix went on a run and had a set point, and things felt tenuous at that point. But then Rublev mm-hmm. saved it. He had a backhand down the line, right onto the baseline, very clutch, and yeah. then uh, won the tiebreak. I think. Um, yeah,
0: he did a tiebreaker. I think it was seven five or seven
1: four. Okay, yeah, but it, yeah. it felt pretty convincing. And yeah. um, I mean, the thing that made me happiest about that was like um. Usually when he wins a match, he looks relieved or he looks kind of passionate is the wrong word. Maybe, maybe elated, but he doesn't look happy. Um, It it almost looks like um, he feels like he's done his job, Mm. but he doesn't look that happy about it. He just looks relieved and like the tension is gone. And after this one, he smiled and he looks really happy. And so I was, um, I was very glad for him about that because I think, um, I think he sort of searches for his purpose on court, maybe more than most players. And it felt like he found it a little bit, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I wish him the best for the season. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if he's gonna get it.
0: Yeah, I feel like most of the problems that existed with the Rublev are still there. So like he's it's yeah. not necessarily a player who has a massive plan B. He doesn't hit necessarily like many angles, he doesn't he isn't particularly good at the net, so he doesn't have necessarily a lot of variety. You know it's coming from him all the time. And his second serves are our point starter at best like it's he puts the ball in he doesn't double fault that much but if you keep winning 30 percent of your second serves it's just as good as double faulting like a a lot of the time right so
1: it really is yeah yeah. And that's that's kind of an underrated point like if your second serve is getting consistently pummeled it's almost better to double fault because then you're losing the point on your own terms um but yeah i mean i don't I'm kind of beating this point (laughs) into the ground because all this stuff has been said about Rublev. Um, But what I was thinking about recently when I wrote about him was like, um, you know, issues with his game aside, I feel like he hasn't improved that much over the past few years. Um, Like he hasn't had that many breakthrough wins. Last year, he had a win over Nadal on clay and then a win over Medvedev on hard court, which was amazing. Uh, He played great in both cases. But I feel like besides that, that was sort of it. He hasn't yeah. done great at the majors, um so yet to make a semifinal, yeah. and so I feel like until he gets that big win, he's just kind of in this limbo. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm always impressed when he wins a tournament, but like he's won 500s before. I didn't learn anything new about him from this. Yeah.
0: I think it's the the fact that like he beat Medvedev and he beat Nadal, but like it's not like it never happens, right? Like, and it's not like Rublev beat them, and you saw it coming like he was it's it's kind of like the, the 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 losses that happen when for example nadal loses to a top top 20 player right so i mean you know it's gonna happen at, at a point or another He you know, doesn't have a perfect record against them so it doesn't he doesn't never really put myself in in a position that i saw that rublev was better than them it just felt like on that day his shots went in more than the other guys and there wasn't necessarily anything di- different on his game that made that win possible. It was just a good day, I guess, like at the office. And it. that's pretty much my feelings about it. And to be perfectly honest, if Felix was slightly more um, like less fatigued, I think the match was pretty much his, like seriously. Like you can see that I feel like Felix didn't play to his standard on that final and he kind of his level started just like dimming a bit, like towards the middle of that week, he did extremely well to get to that final. He played extremely well against uh, Sapulin. Yeah. It was a really good match. I find um, he weathered the the Russian really well. Like he he was really putting a lot of ball backs and like making yeah. the job really tough for Felix, but he, he also didn't, he, he didn't serve his best in the final. He barely put like first serves in, I think he was at 40% like in the first set. Oh, wow. Um, so that, that was not very good for his own standards. Kept missing like easy forehands, um, especially on the second serve, which he would have made. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think his level wasn't as great, which kind of just leads me, me to believe that um, one, that's definitely a new chapter of his life. Like uh, making two titles in a row is not easy, not yeah. just because you need to be winning, but because you need to be fresh. <laughs> you need right. to weather your own body for it. But also yeah i guess it's it's really just like the fatigue of it like it was just never he probably wasn't ready to feel that um pain and just like the 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 body not moving exactly as he should at that moment so
1: yeah i mean to be honest i think that loss is kind of painless for felix because he had already gotten his title and he had beaten Rublev the previous week and he was tired um so like i don't feel like we need to necessarily read into it a lot i was was so impressed with how composed a final he played against cc Foss. it was ridiculous Mm -hmm. um he destroyed him um i mean i think he's really ready to make a jump and i think amazingly that loss to um medvedev at the australian open so far is kind of working in his favor because i think in the first place that was a good loss because he got really close to winning but he also didn't really have a chance to win that tournament um hmm. so he can imagine what if, but like not enough to sort of torture himself over it yeah. um whereas that Medvedev lost in it all the title was right there, so that one is probably yeah. going to be a little harder to deal with, but Felix kind of learned that he could play at that level while simultaneously maybe not missing out on that much um now that um finals record is off his back um and he's been playing at a really consistently high level, yeah. so i'm I'm excited for him, and i I wasn't always like I think after the US open in like 2020 when team destroyed him i was thinking it's going to be quite a while before he starts mm. to level off significantly at least and i think he's making that jump now um so yeah it was it's been a great stretch for him it, yeah. and and i do want to stress again like i was impressed that rublev beat him because even though felix wasn't maybe completely physically for us in that final things did get really really tight and pretty good quality at the end yeah. of the second set and Rublev was able to hold him off. Um, and I was just thinking about it, and I feel like in a way, Rublev is also is almost like the anti-Yelena Ostapenko, um, hmm. because he has, um, he has like a lower ceiling, but he's pretty consistent. Um, whereas Ostapenko has as high a ceiling as anyone, and it's just like, either she beats herself or she doesn't, with yeah. few exceptions, because what Ostapenko did Last week was completely absurd.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was just looking at the. I was watching a few highlights because I didn't get a chance to watch the matches. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: just the shot selection from her is like not something that you just, as a coach, I think you would tell the player you should do that. Because a lot right. of them were very close to the lines, and she was picking her spots beautifully. But you can you can see that like an inch away like he was, he was going to be an enforced error for a lot yeah. of those shots and she was taking the ball really early so it's like it's the type of week that she was on and it's to her credit it's obviously something that she has in her in her toolkit like mm-hmm. to be able to play those shots and to be able to play consistently maybe um she could have maybe she can like maybe adjust her game a little bit like in the sense of like trying to been more controlled aggression, but it worked right for her. And this yeah. she, she did win the tournament and she destroyed a lot of opponents, Halep included, whom I think, by the way, didn't play quite as well. Maybe, maybe El Stepinko was right. Maybe she was saying just, well, I need to play my A game. Otherwise, she's going to get into this match. Mm-hmm. And it's probably troubled Halep. But I think Halep kind of tried to play too safely too many times and kept like rolling forehand that were just landing high and slightly short and centered. And I feel like it, instead of breaking rhythm, I think it just gave um, Ostapenko rhythm because she likes to create pace. Yeah. So it's not like she's not feeding off pace. She's right. the one who's making it.
1: I, I, I was totally fascinated by that dynamic actually. And, um, and I'm kind of going to disagree because I didn't think Halep hmm. could have done that much. Like she, she is an offensive player, but she doesn't have the easy power. Um, so when she plays someone who does have easy power, it's really difficult for her to do anything except defend really. Um, because like when, when the rally is neutral, either if Halep doesn't hit like a really offensive shot off the first ball, she's going to be behind in the rally. Um, like Ostapenko had so much more weight on her shots. Um, and so I was watching that match and it was like, I mean, maybe once Halep could put the ball back with interest, but it was so difficult for her because those mm. Ostapenko shots will push you behind the baseline so quickly. And Halep, not the hardest hitting player to begin with, is going to have even more trouble creating pace from that far back. And so even when Ostapenko was totally off the boil and Halep won the first at 6-2, it the match felt tenuous to me. Um, like it, I was like, this is going Halep's way, but if Ostapenko becomes more accurate, this could get away from her really fast. And that's what ended up happening. I mean, and... And what Ostapenko said in press about Halep not being able to handle her pace, it's harsh, but it's completely true. Like, yeah. when, when Ostapenko is landing those shots, Halep cannot do anything. Like, she can't, again, like, maybe once she'll be able to um, make enough crazy defensive gets that Ostapenko will miss. But if Ostapenko is being accurate, like, Halep is just going to get blown off the court. She mm-hmm. hit three winners from the baseline in this match. And I think Ostapenko hit 20 or 30. Um mm-hmm such a massive discrepancy. Um I mean and you can you can see it in the score as well. Like in the in the tie break, Ostapenko won seven zero. Yeah. And then she won the third set six oh and it didn't feel that surprising. Um like when when she makes those shots there is basically nothing a player like Halep can do. Yeah. And that's saying something because she's former world number one two-time major champion. Um but at the same time Ostapenko was wild. Like she's not gonna be accurate that often um and when she's missing like you can't win when you're donating two or three points to your opponent every game um and so it's for that reason that I'm kind of more confident in like Rublev um winning another title like this than I am for Ostapenko and on the flip side of that I would be more confident in Ostapenko like winning a major this year than I would be for Rublev um Mm. because her peak level can do anything it's just really hard for her to reach
0: yeah I think kind of well, obviously have to agree with you because like I watched the highlights, which is nine minutes, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> compared to I don't know how long the match was. But the only issue that I find is, like in to Halep's defense, she has never been a great server, but like her yeah. second serve just kept getting destroyed. It was the same pattern over and over again, like backhand or forehand. Uh, Stepanek was just taking it very early, and yeah. just it was just no coming back from that. Like at some point, Halep even start, stopped moving to the ball because like. Right. what am I going to do?
1: Like, what's yeah. the point? You'll, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, and it's, it's kind of like what you were yeah. saying with, um, some of the shots Ostapenko hits are outrageous. I mean, the, the fact that there is basically no margin in her game means that when she's being accurate, she'll hit the craziest shots. She'll hit like yeah. a backhand cross court on the rise winner that'll like paint the sideline and she won't even react. Like this is what she expects from herself. And yeah. I always think, that would be the most intimidating thing to be on the other side of the court. She hits the shot that most players can only dream of hitting. And then she kind of just shakes her head and goes to the next point. It's mm-hmm. it's wild. Yeah. Like, I mean, we talk a lot about players making something look easy. She makes power look easy. Um, yeah. And it is it is not. Um, and I mean, I completely agree with what you said earlier. If <laughs> She just put a tiny bit more margin in her game so that it would be like, 90% outrageous shots and, like, 10% margin instead of 100-0. Um, things would probably work a bit better, but yeah. I, I don't think that's in her nature. It's kind of the same way that, like, when I watch Andy Murray now, it hurts me because he's so passive. and I'm like, man, this is not working. Your body yeah. can't handle it. You don't want to be playing three-hour matches. You need to attack. But he can't because this is what he's always done. Um, yeah. And, you know, years of habit are extremely hard to break. Even more so if you're a professional athlete and mindset is everything. And I think that's kind of a similar thing with also like her mindset is attack all the time, um, and hit with little enough margin that if it goes in your opponent is screwed. Um, And so when she does it well it's amazing, and it works it's just really hard to do consistently.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess I agree, like in the sense that El Stepenko has such, which she has already won the major, so we can have reason to believe that she could potentially do it again. Like we know that her level is really high yeah. when she's on. Um, and yeah, I guess back to Rublev, I guess it's, he's got a lot of margin. He can produce already just shots, but also, I don't know, I feel like Rublev has, I, I we, talked about like just right before we started recording that i think just Rublev kind of plateaued like in, in what what he can do and if he stays uh, in the top 10 like seven eight in the world i think he's been as high as number five um yeah, he,
1: he was five earlier this yeah. year um yeah. and, and it felt weird to me because because he hadn't made a major semi-final yeah. which is a bit of a an ironic thing to say because you know the major the semis are top four um so there's not, nothing wrong with him being uh fifth but It just felt a bit weird to me, Um, and I totally agree with you, Um, and and it's a tough position to be in because, like, if, I mean, the top players in this era have sort of defined it by improving constantly. I mean, you um, you had Federer at the top, and then you had Nadal, who was second for a while, and then finally Nadal improved enough that he passed Federer, and then Djokovic improved enough to beat them both. And then alternately they kind of had to improve enough to like beat Djokovic here and there. And then Djokovic would improve again and he'd mm-hmm. be number one again. And and it's all back and forth. But at one point or another, for all three of them, their best was not enough to like yeah. be at world number one. And they had to change. Um, and I think that's one of the the toughest things to do. Like we talked about it with um Ostapenko and Murray. Like when you play a certain way for years and years and years, one of the hardest things to do is um you know, be introspective and be like, okay, I'm, I am not good enough the way I'm doing this. I need Mm. to change. And that's so hard when probably from birth, basically, you've been coached to be, to believe that your best is good enough. So when it isn't, I think that must be an incredibly hard thing to reckon with. And Rublev's best is not good enough to be the top guys. He needs to um, add a layer to his game. And, And when you say it, it sounds so simple, but it's an incredibly hard thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, just look at how long it took Djokovic and Nadal to, like, get comfortable at the net to play games. Yeah, And, I mean, and they, Federer, how long did it take him to actually, like, use his backhand, like, more aggressively, <laughs> right? he yeah. It took him changing a racket at 35 to actually yeah. start, like, driving the backhand. Like, it, like, and Camine. it's, like, a
1: decade and a half of, like, getting killed by Djokovic and Nadal on that side. Yeah. I mean, you're completely right. Like, if you, if you look at clips from, like, 2006 – Djokovic and Nadal were, like, atrocious volleyers. Um, Federer, <laughs> I mean, Federer basically didn't have a drive backhand. Um, he, he had a slice, and that's it. And, yeah. um, I mean, yeah, like, they – it's kind of insane what they've done to become different players. Um, it's, like, it's sort of mind-boggling to me how they were able to change that much and that noticeably. And I'm not, um, I'm not expecting that level of change from Rublev or anyone because that sort of thing is just not normal. Um, yeah, but I think, I think that is what that mindset is what is required of him. Like, I can see him staying in the top ten for a long time, like indefinitely, really. Because, I mean, he didn't do great at the majors last year, so I think he'll pick up points. Um, hmm. he can pick up points by making fourth round quarterfinals, and he should be able to stay in the top ten. But I think to make a jump from where he is now um something has to change because the top the top players are not going to beat themselves and you have people like Alcaraz coming up yeah so I don't I don't think the top few players are going to have like a noticeable dip in quality anytime soon
0: yeah and now that we mentioned Alcaraz and I think I was just talking about like Felix who's also pretty young like is 21 um yeah. turning 22 this year Alcaraz is 18 which is mad 18. yeah um it's it's a very good prospect that like those guys are starting to do well um and because felix has been the face of steady progress since he's entered the tour um it's almost like fitting that he's he'd win his title this year it's like it's his curve hasn't really decreased It just keeps going up very steadily it's not yeah. incredibly fast it doesn't make like a huge change here and there but like it seems like his he keeps progressing and it's good to see that his his ceiling Um, is still very high and just needs to be a little bit more consistent and he's achieving that and Mm -hmm. on the other hand like Akras (laughs) who seems to have figured out that he's a very 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 good player and he just kind of decided to keep being a very very good player and he at 18 years old already made better decisions so like he's very fit as we Mm -hmm. can see and uh especially because now he wears sleeveless shirts and uh, it's very easy <laughs> to see that he worked out really <laughs> a lot during the off season. And yeah, he's and also added drop shots. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he added a drop shots to his yeah. game, which are scary.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just laughing because it's unbelievable to me how good this guy is at such a young age. Um, Like the maturity in his game, he, besides i mean i think sometimes he pulls the trigger way too early yeah and he doesn't trust his backhand enough so he'll hit these inside out forehands that don't do a whole lot and i'm like you have a great backhand um use it but besides that i mean there are no weaknesses in his game he kind of does everything yeah. and it takes most people at like until they're 25 or 30 to and then they still don't have a game that's well-rounded i mean if you compare him to Berrettini, like firmly entrenched in the top 10 Making major quarterfinals and semifinals, his like his game is better than Berrettini's. Yeah, hundred like, percent. It's by a mile, and it's wild because Berrettini has been around for a while. He like he knows how things work. How and it's like Alcaraz has better return, better touch, better defense, better backhand. Like the it's only thing crazy. that
0: the only thing that Berrettini probably has better than Alcaraz is the serve. Yeah, the slice and experience which exactly. is going like, to catch like up the, at some point yeah
1: yeah and the forehand i think is close enough that i don't even give ferrissini a solid edge no i don't and, yeah and all of this is why i was convinced alcaraz was going to beat him at the australian open and when he lost i think i said to vonch if they play again next week alcaraz will win um so i was glad Al, Al- alcaraz backed me up a little bit uh, yeah. by beating him in rio um i think it was rio right um, yeah it was but, Rio. Yeah. um I, he's so good it's mind-boggling like I yeah. think I think he's going to be sixth in the world by the end of the year yeah I think
0: what which ranking you said
1: uh, he's at 20 now
0: okay yeah, I think he's going to be a top 10 imagine if like, I would be very very happy if like uh, Felix and Akras qualified to the finals at the end of the year I think which they, is yeah. which is going to be a really um refreshing two faces and then in, in the finals and I think they're going to be like so stoked to be there that they yeah. just play very well <laughs> especially Akras yeah. to be fair um
1: mm-hmm. I, I want to see him there yeah. so badly. I was yeah. saying last year, and this is this is rough on Casper Rood, I know that, and, and on Nori, um, who both had great years. But when I saw the the field, I think I tweeted like I would genuinely be more interested in seeing how Alcaraz does against these people than yeah. either of them. Um yeah. like ranking ranking notwithstanding.
0: Yeah. No, I think Alcaraz, like the the two things that I find can be refined in his game is like one that shot selection as sometimes you said like he doesn't trust his backhand pulls the trigger a little too early and i think um uh spot serving could become a yeah. bit better he can serve at 230k like which is ridiculous is very powerful but we know that power doesn't always win like djokovic has proven that against isner <laughs> yeah time, yeah. time mean, again. Th- this is the yeah
1: this is the placement era
0: so yeah so yeah like you need to place your serve really well and what I was watching sometimes like in, in the matches, like Alcaraz has, is so explosive and he's so excited about like his explosion that he sometimes just like <laughs> hits time and time again down the line and he expects a win. You can you can tell yeah. 100% that he's expecting that his his roar is going to turn into a winner <laughs> at the end of that shot and the ball comes back. And then sometimes it just looks very tired and you're like, man, you could have just hit a cross court <laughs> forehand just as hard and he was probably going to be a winner there or you're going to get a short ball right after. It's just like, it's, Probably just like the youthfulness, like he's a little too yeah. youthful at this time, like it's just too eager to win the points and he knows yeah. it's good. He knows that he, he could probably do it but if you keep going down the line time and time again, like you you're you gonna ought <laughs> to yeah, you, you're going to and also you're going to give a lot of room for your opponents, like hit a safer shot on the cross court, which right. could lead to you making an error. So yeah, yeah he's going to learn that for sure but like I think yeah. by 2023 we are definitely going to see an Alcaraz that my bold prediction is that he could probably win a Grand Slam next year. I believe that he could.
1: I I, I think I said that to Scott and he yeah. thought I was crazy. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree I, with you. I, I can see him winning him. the US Open in 2023. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the other thing that is not certain. I mean, besides injuries, which can affect anyone, is like, um, how is he gonna handle like learning stuff? Because he has mm-hmm. yet to experience that traumatic loss. Um, like how how is he gonna handle that? Because right now. He's in. I think someone said this, so this is not an original phrase. I think someone said like he's in the honeymoon period of his Mm. career. Like like right now, everything is great and every win is so nice, and like he's beating everyone and he's just getting to know the tour. Um, and like everything is great, but before long, he's gonna play. I don't know, Djokovic or Nadal in like a major quarterfinal, and he's gonna choke and they're gonna beat him. And like, of course, he's gonna choke. Like, there's no getting around this. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we remember what happened with a. guest on in paris last year um where he was up 5-0 and then just completely imploded and um yeah. and that wasn't a big enough match to like fully hammer in the lesson so it's it's gonna happen again it's inevitable and then we'll have to see how he handles it from there but right now it's like it seems like there's nothing in his way um yeah he's just sprinting to the top like we talked about felix having a steady improvement curve this guy seems to be on like a, a steepening curve um yeah and and of course it'll stop at some point but it's just crazy to watch. It's like every shot he hits is getting him closer to the top.
0: Yeah, I think it helps that he's growing in the rankings as well because he has a very clear objective, right? He's, yeah. he's he's just 20 in the world. Like, I mean, there's a lot of rankings that he can catch up on. Um, the points difference is not that great so that he can win a couple like 500s and 250s and he, or just go deep in tournaments and he would keep growing like, and get to top 15, 11, 12. And then when he gets to the top 10, that's when the the slow pace like occurs like that's when you just kind of like you take a year to jump like one spot so like yeah it's 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 hard like that's when it gets to the point where it might feel that he's not going anywhere and I guess like that's when a lot of players like Nadal are are writing saying like I'm just gonna take this a week at a time because if you don't like if you don't just focus on the tournament and what you're doing if you just focus too much on like rapid progress I feel like you can get frustrated because it's not going to happen and I think the closest thing that he got to a frustrating loss was to Berrettini this year but I also think that he wasn't necessarily expected to even take it like too far in this match like I feel like if you would say oh yeah like we we would imagine that he would take it to five that he could even win this match but like he was not necessarily a heavy favorite like people would still think that Berrettini would come through which he did, but like I feel like a heavy loss for him would be like when he goes in and people are like, oh no, this is it. Yeah. He he actually is like on par with those guys and he should be winning this match or he could be winning this match. It's like mm-hmm. at some point he should be on, in his rack. And when this happens, that's when a crushing loss can occur. Like Tsitsipas against Varinka. Oh, so that yeah. that was a that massive was,
1: that was a crazy match that i need to rewatch that because that was yeah. one of the best matches of the last yeah. few years but yeah I, I agree with you i mean and i think that barrettini match as well um the facts that i mean i, I did expect him to win but he wasn't like an overwhelming favorite like you said and i think the fact mm-hmm. that he went down two sets kind of killed any pain that could have come up from that like even though he came back and it was really close in the end it was like he was down two sets. Like, at that point, there was, like, a 90% chance he was going to lose. He made that match way closer than it should have been. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, it was almost a success for him because it was, mm-hmm. like, looking back, the next time, like, from his perspective, I, I imagine it would be, like, the next time we play, I'm not going to play, like, crap for a set and a half. Yeah. So I should win. Um, and, and I just proved that I can beat him even when he plays well. Um, mm. Like, I think Damian Kost was saying on Twitter... Like, even though Berrettini has the bigger serve, um, like, when they play, um, he needs to rely on Alcaraz errors. Otherwise, like, Alcaraz is going to win. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's what happened. And, like, Alcaraz wasn't even good in the second set, um, and, and it didn't matter. Like, I'm looking at the ACP rankings right now, and the people above him are, um, I'm going to read from 19 up. Yeah. Basil Osvili, Opelka, Kerenio Busta. Fritz, Batista Agut, Shapovalov, Schwarzman, Nori, Herkoch, Sinner, Ojeal Yassim, Rude, Rublev, Berrettini, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev, Djokovic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like until you get to seven or eight, it's like Alcaraz is better than all those guys. It seems like a matter of time until he passes most of them. Um, and, and like you said, I think things will get way tougher um, at top 10 and top five, but hes I think he's going to keep climbing for yeah. a little bit.
0: And honestly, I think we were we were robbed from a showdown between Felix and Akras in the U.S.
1: Open last year. Yeah, that would have been fun.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited. If they, partly one of the reasons why I think it, they should be in the ATP Finals this year, and probably in the same group, is because we need to watch a match that matters between those two, uh-huh. like the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, which should have happened. Um, so yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. That like, I feel like he could be easily like seven, six in in the world. Maybe eight. Maybe not six, but like seven, eight right now. And honestly, Opelka, Fritz, he's better than all these guys. Yeah, he returns I mean, I... extremely well. He serves pretty good and can improve. Um, and yeah, like his his backhand, <laughs> Berrettini could only dream of having something like that. <laughs> Sadly for him, I wonder what is going to happen to him and luckily for him though like the grass season is very short but I feel like he's he still needs to pick up something in the in the grass season I think I would still give the edge to Berrettini if they were to play on grass
1: I I agree with that yeah Um, at the same time though I'm like I feel like he can look at the grass season as just an opportunity um like Mm -hmm. you said it's a small part of the calendar but he can look at it and go like okay it's it's a small bit not not a lot of pressure because i'm better on the other surfaces and also most of the atp sucks on grass so if i can just get a little bit better i can steal Wimbledon in the next few years i mean there are things that would surprise me more um but yeah i mean looking at that uh, looking at that top 20 i'm like three of those guys know how to play on grass maybe like i Mm -hmm. mean djokovic nadal but like maybe medvedev maybe but um and then Berrettini, yeah. like I think Zvero's is not great on grass. Tsitsipas is kind of abysmal. Um, Rublev and Rude, I imagine, would be fine, but probably not yeah. going to do a whole lot. Oje seem could be good. Hercots, I think, could be good, but not good enough to contend for a title. Um, and and then like none of the none of the names besides that look too imposing. <laughs> I mean Wimbledon, yeah. Wimbledon is going to be like the disaster major for the ATP in in the next few years. Um, and so yeah and I wonder if um if he could put in like a solid training block on grass and just figure out how to move on it and return on it like yeah he could win a Wimbledon so. yeah
0: I think in particular like if, if the draw gets like easy like not easy but like favorable like if suppose he stays number 2019 until Wimbledon he could potentially face like a top guy like early, as early as, thir- as third round or fourth mm-hmm. so he could be tough but like if the draw opens up like he did last year, and like, it, and he he he's not in Djokovic's half half, yeah. um, I think he he could very well just get practice and like just get into grind zone with those guys who don't really know how to play on grass either, and just like okay, yeah. let's see who yeah. adapts better in this match, so like he can get like the match practice that he needs and moving on grass and match situation, and I don't know by the end of like first week he could say like okay, I I think this this is good training like I, if i go another two matches or one from here yeah that's that's a, that's amazing like i came here to just practice and i'm leaving at wimbledon like with like maybe a quarterfinal who knows yeah. like i feel like it could happen and it, it, it could would give him a great yeah. result yeah yeah um, exactly
1: I, I mean so, so i want to ask you now like if if djokovic can't play who the hell is going to win wimbledon on the <laughs> men's side good like because I I mean the field has been bad on grass for a while now. Um, you'll like this fun fact. In 2019, do you want to guess who the fifth favorite was?
0: The fifth favorite wasn't it Felix?
1: It was Felix. Yeah. Who, who who had like zero wins at majors at that point or something crazy like that? He he lost in the third round to Ugo Umber. He was the fifth favorite. Um, but but like yeah, who who was gonna win? Like if if Rafa's legs can take it, presumably he would then be the favorite. But that's not a sure thing um mm-hmm. and but like who who was gonna win Wimbledon uh, yeah. there's not there's not a safe bet in here at all,
0: yeah, I mean, you could even make a case and that is horrible, but at, at that point, like even Isner could fancy his chances oh, at God. Wimbledon. No, like, I'm, I'm not. I
1: I'm, yeah. I I can't. Even, I can't agree with that. I
0: don't. I don't. I don't want to say this, but like it, it's supposed that like a 2020 horror situation happens for Djokovic again, like in which he can't play. Well, Joe, he could play in the in 2020 in the U.S. Open, but he messed up and he ended up out in the fourth round. So at that point, and even last year, um players are feeling like, oh my gosh, this could be my chance. Like if Djokovic goes out early, who knows? Like it's anyone's game.
1: But Isner, man, I'm writing a piece right now saying that Wimbledon is overrated. But if John Isner wins Wimbledon, I will swear off the event entirely. Like you cannot. 100%.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I think I would definitely give the edge to either Nadal or Berrettini. I think Berrettini would even look at it and say like, the guy who beat me last year is not here. I can definitely do this this time. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, Unless
0: he gets Nadal in the final, because at that point, his game is going to be just as good as Federer's and a bit worse because he doesn't move as well. He's going to have to rely on slices, which Nadal is going to kill him for. So Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like that could be a fun matchup on grass, though, because Verrettini would get more mileage out of his serve. Um, yeah. I really think he missed an opportunity at the Australian Open because mm. he was really bad for the first two sets. Um, Like Nadal did not have to do anything out of the ordinary for like two hours. And then, mm-hmm. and then it actually got close at the end and maybe if Ferratini hadn't spotted in at all two sets, he could have won that match. Um, so if he comes out of the gates firing, I would be yeah. intrigued as to what would happen there. Um, yeah. I feel like, I feel like Foss has got to improve on, on grass because, because he's world number four, but on fast hard courts and on grass, you know, he is not going to do anything, Yeah, which is not great.
0: Um. yeah like I, I think Paz like remains in the same issue that like his his, his return on the backhand side is particularly is it's just really poor like it can't it can't remain that way like every player literally every player when they play him the, they serve to his backhand yeah. like a hundred percent of the time like it's not even a question of like he's not even guessing at this point he just like he just knows it's gonna go there and like you know that like when I was watching a couple of matches of him um, in Rotterdam um, and against, uh, I think it was Gaston as well, like in, in uh, Marseille, um, Tsipas' returns were not particularly amazing, like on the backhand side, like in Gaston being a lefty, kept putting the balls, like just lighting to his back backhand. And yeah. when Tisipas tried to return something that was not his life, he just kind of floated a little bit and just didn't really have much direction and was was high and landed mostly like on the service line on the mm-hmm. and you know a player that like has a good forehand has good confidence is going to see the ball and just like i'm just going to do one plus serve and it's going to work because this ball is just going to sit up for me to just blast a winner back to his backhand or something and yeah if you give time to the backhand of Tissipaz, he can do something but like how how many players are just willing to like, I'm just going to give him some time. Like he, he deserves to play a little bit better not at all, right? <laughs> yeah, it's you know? not
1: going to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he's great on clay. Like he's going to do amazing things on clay because yeah. he has time to load up and then his ball becomes super heavy. Uh, but when he's rushed, it is, it is bad. Yeah. Um, and that's not an easy problem to fix. It's kind of, like, kind of like that Rublev thing where it's like the problem is very obvious. But that's almost a bad thing because it's been clear for a couple of years and Mm -hmm. nothing has really changed. And so I don't think there's a lot of reason to think that it will change going forward. I mean, these guys are young, but again, like the problem is obvious. Um, Like, I don't know that more years of knowing what the problem is, is going to fix anything. Like maybe Mm -hmm. it gets marginally better, but I don't think there's ever going to be a world in which Foss is a good returner or can Mm -hmm. hit good backhands backhand returns yeah. uh and that's that's a big issue um it's not great
0: yeah I think it, and if we stop thinking about like um how great the big three is like there were a bunch of players back in the day who were great in one surface or two and they were able to maximize that to the fact that they were able to even win grand slams and the player that comes to my head right now is Gustavo Kuerten, who okay. um there were rumors that he was going to coach Tissipas didn't happen his it's probably never going to happen by the way um, but I think Tsitsipas doesn't necessarily even have to worry about the grass season not being his great suit. Like you probably say, like, hey, listen, I'm just never gonna do well on this. Like I might as well just try to become really good on on hard courts as well, which was w- what Kirtan did back in his yeah. days. He became really good on on hard courts as well. He won, I think he won a Masters on uh, on on hard court as well. I'm not quite sure, but he did win uh, the Master Series, which is the ATP Finals. Mm -hmm. um beating Sampras and Agassi both a little bit older at that time but it still did them back to back um so I feel
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
0: participants could get better on on hardcourt and just say like hey listen i just sucked on grass anyway so like i'm just gonna be freaking amazing on clay and i'm gonna be very much decent on, uh, on hard court. and. By the time that he's 26, like Djokovic and Nadal are probably going to be out of the game. Federer 100% is going to be out of the game. Uh, d- um, jinx said
1: Andre. <laughs>
0: yeah. And yeah, and at that point, he could, he could become number one by just sheer fact that nobody is like Djokovic and Nadal and Federer. Right. So.
1: Um, I mean, yeah, honestly, if he or like Chapeau or someone else who doesn't have a chance of winning Wimbledon just decided to skip it all together, I would fully support that. Yeah. Um, because like what, if you think about it really, what is the point? I mean, you know, like money, if you're, if you're ranked low enough, like money, ranking points. But, like, what is the point of playing this tournament on this extremely niche surface that you know you're not going to win? I mean, obviously, they'll tell themselves that they can win, but it's not going to happen. Like, if, again, to pull up the rankings, like, Casper Ruud is not winning Wimbledon. Like, why, Like, why, why should he even play? Like, is there much point in him going to the fourth round or the quarters and then losing when he could be training on the hard courts, which make up, like... 500 more of the calendar i i don't know i think there's a great argument to be made to just skip it entirely at this point
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know how much of how much uh would they have to pay in the fines but i I think if you're a top four player like getting sponsored by rolex you could probably pay that off but at the same time i don't know um i feel like at the same time like all these players are so competitive that just kind of always have the question in their minds like what if like is like can suppose like one day like everybody loses in the first round like whatever okay. or, in the, or the third round like every seeded player is the only one left. it's like oh my gosh like this is my time to shine and probably a lot of those players just just think that they like to play wimbledon for whatever reason and it pays a lot of money <laughs> to oh yeah be there, and, so. and that
1: um and the fact that it's so historic and has all this tradition counts a lot for everyone like yeah. this is the one that everyone dreamed of winning when they were younger um you know back when grass was (laughs) more of a thing um Mm -hmm. and like to be clear i don't think that anyone is actually going to do this i'm just saying that if he wanted to be really tactical skipping it could be a good move kind of like like i mean medvedev now that he's gone deep at the french open i I don't feel this way anymore but like if before last year's clay season he said Mm -hmm. like i'm I'm not going to do well on clay i know that I'm just going to train on grass and then make a run at Wimbledon. I'd be like, yeah, man, go for it. Like yeah. you, you didn't win a match on clay in like the last three years. And I'm exaggerating, but not by much. Like what's, what's the point? Like, I get it. Go, go work at something that you have a realistic chance of having major success on. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and I do wonder if we're going to see a shift now with these players. Um, like when they grow up, are they still going to dream of winning Wimbledon because it's really not what it used to be. It used to be the, the culmination of all this all this great talent um and to an extent it still is because it's a major and on on the women's side the the field is better um mm-hmm. you have you have more players who can play on grass um but on the men's side it's like nowadays you have a handful of players who know how to play on grass no one else has any idea what they're doing and the competition is not that high quality yeah. like is that is that still something that children are going to dream of winning i'm i'm not sure.
0: Yeah, it's just, especially after last year, the quality was really not that high. It, like, it was by far the most uninspiring major of the year. Yes. So, like, and to, it's of course like the reason why is because players just don't play on grass. Like, it's just yeah, the reason the, why. The,
1: the, there are no opportunities. I mean, you, you
0: either play on clay or on heart. Like, that's, right. that's it yeah and, and if you're intelligent is... you put your kids in a click work <laughs> because like that's how you learn how to play tennis without having to just rely on like big serve and a big forehand. yeah
1: yeah you learn how to move and hit ground yeah. strokes i yeah. mean yeah grass is such an impractical surface to play on um and the fact that it's lasted this long is kind of crazy um i mean on wimbledon last year like i do think the woman's side was very good like yeah I'm, I'm on record as saying uh kerber cerebus tormo was the best match of the year and then the semis were great as well like you had um I think it was Sabalenka and Pliskova. Um, mm-hmm. that was really good, like super close. And then, yeah, Herbert he was. wasn't that close, but it was really good quality. Um, and so like the women's side, you had a lot of very good matches. Um, like it was it was a fun tournament. Like excited to see that again this year. But mm-hmm. but on the men's side, like oh my god. Um, I mean that you had it that Djokovic chapeau semi, which was decent. Yeah, and that that was about it really. I mean that. That berrettini hurkacz semifinal was was dire. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you had Berrettini won like ten games in a row at one point, and and it got close by the end, but it was really hard to watch. It was like this is not what a Wimbledon semifinal should look like. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, here, I, I'm going to pull up the draw because I want to see how the how the seeds did. Um, yeah,
0: and I, you go on.
1: And, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, like there was no doubt in anyone's mind from the start of that tournament that Djokovic would win. Because there is there's no one who had the capabilities to beat him, um, besides Medvedev maybe, and he lost in the fourth round. Yeah, yeah so so here we go. Um quarter finalists, Djokovic number one, Fusevich, unseated, Hotchanov twenty-five, Chapovalov ten, Berrettini, seven, Ozealia seems sixteen, Federer six but on one leg, and Herkot fourteen. I mean, that is not a strong top eight i'm sorry
0: no it is not because uh, the one thing that we're missing uh and it was playing to see in the in the 2010s and for most of the last decade mm-hmm. was that it seemed like players knew how to play on grass i don't know what happened that they just don't know anymore and we had like nice setups like you know at the end you could say like this match is most likely going to happen in the quarters this match is most likely, yeah. likely going to happen and now we just look at this it, like we don't even know who the finalist is going to be like right like we have no clue like if this player can do well and it's not even the fact that like we could say like for example for the wta it's like i have no idea who the finalist is going to be because everyone is so good It's like i have no idea who the finalist is going to be because i can't everyone see is it. terrible <laughs> yeah it's like who's going to play well enough <laughs> to beat each other it's like it's like players are not necessarily winning their matches it's another player is just losing it first you know what i mean it's like yes it's yeah. like I don't, it's a finalist at Wimbledon or a quarter finalist um, or semifinals almost could say, I basically have no right to be here. That is makes me better than anyone else that I've come through before. It's like it could have been literally anyone. It was almost like the, a coin toss.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking back because like I'm really intrigued to know what caused this shift as well. Cause I, I do think this is where kind of the aging out of the lost gen has had an impact. Cause Dimitrov, Del Potro. Um, Berdych, were all in Wimbledon semis at one point mm-hmm. or another. Burditch made a final. Ferrer was in a quarterfinal. I think one or two years. Um, so like those guys had a had a better idea of what they were doing. Um, and the fact that they're gone now, um, means that you have fewer consistent presences in the late rounds of Wimbledon. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. What's changed? Like, if people, because people still play warm up tournaments, right? Yeah. Like Djokovic and Nadal don't anymore, but yeah. everyone else should be. I
0: think I think I hit on the question here that is probably the right thing is because I I actually don't think that lots of players are playing warm-ups they just decided it's like if it works for Djokovic, it should work for me or that's something the like worst that. thing you can think. I know it's like you should probably be playing as much as you can on a surface and I think that they should definitely be going to Queens and to Halle
1: and hundred percent
0: and to whatever eastburn i don't i think it's actually yeah, nuremberg yeah, right now it's like just
1: Eastbourne, go for sure yeah yeah
0: go there and play it like at some point queens used to be it, the draws that you see like in, in at queens of, at, as a 250 were ridiculous 2008 the year in the won one for the first time he beat yeah. Djokovic in one of probably one the best match. matches of the year <laughs> at a 250 why because those players are willing to just go there and just be like i'm gonna play this event yeah. And the best players in the world are saying, I'm gonna play this event as well. And, and it was a packed draw. It was always packed. Holly was a little bit less feather. I think he hadn't beaten a top ten player before the quarterfinals in 10 years that he won the tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's mopped up there. But like it doesn't matter. Like go to Holly yeah. and just like yeah. learn how it feels to play on grass. I mean yeah. and, and another thing, like this would not be so much of a problem if um if we had more good returners on the ATP. Yeah. Like since since basically the entire top section of the WTA are great at returning all mm. they have to figure out is how to move um but with the guys can't, can't return and you have to learn how to move yeah. um and the returning is like you are not going to learn how to return on grass in one year if you're not already a good returner <laughs> um it's I, I think I think this is going to be the dark ages at Wimbledon for the ATP. I think it's going to last a while as well like I, I mean like you have Berrettini who knows what he's doing on grass but like is he do we see him as like a five-time wimbledon champion like because I, I, yeah. I don't see it
0: i could see him like if things get really dire i think he could win it twice <laughs> but then i i don't really know if he could even do it once to be perfectly honest like things need to still fall in place to, for him to, to to take that title and if yeah. medvedev figures out how to play at wimbledon because i don't think he does because at the same time he likes hard courts because the ball bounces high and because it's fast he like he doesn't like clay because the ball bounces high but it's very slow right. and he doesn't he doesn't like Wimbledon because the ball bounces low but it's really fast so he's like <laughs> it it's just he just has a I don't want to say he's a one-dimensional guy because he isn't but he he's a little stubborn about like taking the time to like learn different surfaces and yeah i think he did a super job last year doing well at rolling girls because he should do well in in, uh, in, in clay course tournaments because he's a great defender he has a big serve um maybe he can improve a little on the how aggressive he hits his shots but uh, he has a massive backhand which is yeah yeah he's well, good on both sides so he, it should be good enough for him to do well on clay for real
1: right i, I mean in a way though he is one-dimensional it's just that the dimension like the surface that suits his dimension takes off like 70% of the tour that's Um,
0: probably true so
1: so you don't really notice it that much I mean makes me feel bad for I I mean and look like it's if you are only going to practice get good on one surface it should be hard for it so full credit to Medvedev for mastering those because it's infinitely more uh productive than mastering grass or clay um but it makes me feel bad a little bit for the players who specialize on those surfaces, because every, every time they play grass court specialist, clay court specialist, and you never hear hard court specialist because there are so many hard courts. Um, yeah. and you know, like I, I see the logic behind it and everything, but I mean, um, like, like Casper Ruud has gotten so much, um, so much hate for, uh, being the best on clay and he, he's decent on hard court. Whereas you have Medvedev great on hard court, decent on clay. Um, and you never hear specialist yeah. with him.
0: But to be perfectly honest, like Medvedev is better on hard than rude is better. On, is good. Unquote. Yes. But so like, by, by all <laughs> of yeah. yeah, but yeah, rude is the type of, I just don't watch a lot of rude. I just yeah. figure that he wins titles at times, but I don't even know. Like, and I think that's one of the cases as well. Um, and I know you're probably running short on time. So like we can, it, no, no, <laughs> yeah. it's all
1: good. I was, I was going to go to something at eight thirty. Um, but I'm not going to anymore. All so, right, sounds uh, good. So I'm all good.
0: Now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like Rude, a, a guy like Rude, I'm pretty sure that between 2000, 2000 and 2008, something like that, I don't think he would have been a top 10. Not no, not I with don't, his game. I don't think so either. I think he would have been like 15, 16, top 15 at best, but like, I don't yeah. think he would have been able to crack the top 10.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the WTA top 10. And it's so much more exciting than than BCP. Yeah. Like you have from from the top, you have Bardi, Sabalenka, Krajikova, Badosa, Plushkova, Sakari, kontivate, Sriantek, Muguruza, and Jivor. And, and all, any, yeah. any one of them I could see winning Wimbledon. Yeah. Like that any one of them I could see winning a major. A major really like yeah. I mean, it's like this is packs. Like there's not... There's not a weak a weak link in here. I mean, Pliskova at five, maybe she can be a little inconsistent, flat at times. Sabalenka struggling with her serve, but like all these players have the peak level requires to win a major. And then, and then on the ATP side, you have, um, I mean, you know, Zverev has his mental block. T Pass, I think, not ready to win a major. Roland Garros, maybe if Nadal loses. Mm-hmm. Um, Berrettini has gotten kind of close, and then you have Rublev, Rude, Ojovic, Aliasim, Center, who are all still developing um Felix probably with the best chance among them but it's like five of these people at least I can't see winning a major um yeah (laughs) it's it's so top heavy and and I think um I think people are gonna see like it was last year it was bad having Djokovic being such an overwhelming favorite at Wimbledon But I think people are gonna see this year without him it's gonna be worse (laughs) like I think I think having I think not knowing who the favorite is, is only exciting when you have a lot of yeah. really good players in the mix. Uh, yeah. And if it's just like, who can, who can be the least bad. Um, and look, I'm, I know I'm not being very nice to these players. These are some of the best <laughs> players in the world. And tennis is really, really hard, but, I don't know. I'm not excited to watch. Um, it's just, there's just something
0: lacking. I, I feel like it just lacks a little bit of a spark. And I know I've been comparing it to the 2000s a lot, and I'm probably guilty of nostalgia. Like, the good old times are always better type of thing, which is not true. Um, but at the same time, it's, you just see with the, those guys, it, they yeah. just lack, I feel like, they, sometimes the discipline to you know, do well and sometimes just like the little spark they just look at them and you're like these guys they they don't fear the top ones like it it just it just looks like they do like it just looks like they come up against Djokovic defeated it just looks like they come up against Nadal defeated and if they start losing they're just like oh it's just Nadal like type of thing like I don't think I would ever see like David Ferrer saying this even though like in press conferences oh, he just he, kind of
1: he would though <laughs> he was exactly like that. yeah um...
0: that's true David Ferrer would do it like I feel like in match play he never really showed that like he always like tried so hard to like beat those guys mm-hmm. a little too hard at times and caused a few errors and just like you, you could have done a little bit better than that and you would have been like you, you're respecting way too much these guys but like I feel like respecting is different than just kind of like oh it's 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 fine like I feel like Titsipas got good like last year against Djokovic um, but it, I don't know man it's just
1: yeah I mean I, no I, I agree Medvedev I mean,
0: losing a two set to lovely to Nadal at the Australian Open it sh- I don't think it should happen it, all it, credit that, to Nadal should not happen. all I, credit I to Nadal agree. he just wanted like he played like a beast like at the end of this match yeah. but Medvedev imploded a little bit and shouldn't have yeah.
1: he he imploded a lot but I yeah. mean like again N- Nadal is a legend like played well adjusted like all credit to him but when you look at it from the other side of things medvedev is 25 he had won a major he's had years to develop it's his favorite surface yeah like he like he, he knows the deal by now he he knows or should know how never to let that happen um yeah. and he did i mean it's not even so much any specific point where he let down it's just like from two sets up and two sets to one like you should be able to navigate the ship to port you know um yeah and, and he didn't. I mean, on yeah. on Ferrer, though, I do want to say, like, he's had press conferences where they're like, what do you think you need to do differently? And he's just said like nothing. Like they're they're better than me. I, I can't beat yeah. them. Um I guess you're right in that way. But one. But, yeah. but but like largely I think with um I think with like people like Burdich and Songa, even if they didn't have the killer instincts, they at least had the level that could beat the big three sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you you knew when they stepped on court that there was a chance. Um yeah. And I think if I don't know Rude or Rublev or or Berrettini stepped on court against Djokovic in a major final, you would know there was not a chance. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think
0: it's it's just lacking the fact that like you you looked at a lot of players, and you say, like, this is a tricky one, and you saying, like, this is a dangerous guy. Like, yeah. Federer would never walk on a court with Tsonga and say, like, I'm just going to win this match. Like, there's no way. Federer knows that Tsonga doesn't have the best backhand in the world, but the guy moved so quickly, had a big serve, and lost to him a couple times, matches yeah. that he should have won. And Tsonga just just did it. Like, at Wimbledon, he came back from two sets to love down and beat Federer. Mm-hmm. Um, he came back from a 5-1 um, lead uh, I, I was actually, hoping you yeah. bring that off. That <laughs> yeah, was in Toronto. Like he he came back from five one down in the third set and beat Federer in the finals He when I think he's just second ATP masters one thousand. And it's like those are wins that like I feel like they stopped believing a little bit, like uh, yeah. the guys like nowadays. Like one thing that Mavedev could have done better, maybe he just he just said like, you know, what right, you, you want to play a match, like let's let's do it. 40 40 rallies like every time. I'm just gonna put everything back. I don't even give yeah. a crap. Like I'm gonna take your legs. Like just like right. do like Djokovic that you know, like I'm just take the crap out of them and, and Yeah. Well, I,
1: I, I mean the weird thing is I feel like that was the plan initially, but then weirdly Nadal had more in the tank. And so yeah. he had to um and then Medvedev didn't have a plan B. I mean, I actually think he should have deserted that strategy earlier. And Maybe. as soon as he got tired, been like, okay, I, I need to attack more. Um the Problem was, his forehand is not a point ending shot and he can't volley. Um, and then you have a real problem because yeah. Nadal can do all those things, so yeah. but and yeah, he I mean, can pass. <laughs> yeah, oh man, he's he's such a good passer, it's crazy. I mean, the sometimes I look back on those like clips from 2012 or something, I'm like, the, some of the passing shots that he hit is wild. And and Blake, again, I, I should stress that like Djokovic and Nadal, even at this age, are still they're, yeah, they're so really good above. like mm-hmm. they're so good, but I think the fact that i like the the pace at which the next gen have been getting closer when they've been getting closer at all, I think is worrying it's It's happening very slowly yeah. um but,
0: when it happens yeah more. I do think that like that could be good prospects coming like in the twenty and younger generations I think it could be potentially really good in the future, Accra is leading yeah. all of them, of course, but um maybe this generation is just kind of the the gatekeeper, like the last ones like to try to try to do something against Djokovic and Nadal. And you know, maybe by in five years from now we're actually going to see a next big thing. Or maybe two yeah. years, like if so, Alcaraz if Alcaraz wins a Slam at nineteen year old.
1: So, so we have a lost gen uh version too, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think we're I think, think we, we do. Um I
0: honestly think we're at lost gen number three at this point. But
1: <laughs> Right. Well, I mean who was who was the second one after um yeah you know, Nishikori Dimitrov uh, Ferrer
0: because we we basically had a last gen like the 2010s is this like a, the last gen that we're talking about like Nishikori and, and Yeah yeah, and, the, the, yeah
1: that's the first one and then um yeah. if if this is the third one what what would be the second one then
0: I guess anyone that came with Team
1: <laughs> Oh yeah because Team is a little team, bit uh, is, is, is a little old bit older now. yeah um, that's that's another thing that bums me out because team was the guy for a little bit he was i mean it it took him a while to get there but when he was at his peak like he was one of the very few who believed like he he took matches from Djokovic and nadal which no one else was doing um i mean he at the u.s open in 2020 he beat medvedev in straight sets on a hard court he was so good um which is why every week he's out kind of breaks my heart a little more because he was he was a guy like Alcaraz who like had the spark um, yeah. who like you were excited to watch because anything could happen. So I, I hope we get him back. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think, um, I think the WTA is definitely the the more explosive exciting yeah. tour right now. I mean, and we've just talked about the ATP for ages, Um, but I mean, like like looking at these rankings, Osta Penko who just beat like four major champions in the same week, she's number 13, <laughs> Like, there, there are 12 players above her in the rankings. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like, yeah. um, R- Radu Kanu, 12th. Yeah. Um, like, Co- Collins, 11th. Like, there's, there's so much talent here. It's ridiculous. Um, and I think a- another thing I want to write is like, I want to know how much of this comes down to um, best of three versus best of five. Because, yeah. if, because if the woman could play best of five, things things would be very different um yeah. and people would not be criticizing the top wta players for being inconsistent um mm-hmm. because the reality is it is way harder um like way way less consistent to win best of mm-hmm. 3 tournaments because if your opponent gets hot for an hour you can lose like that so
0: yeah and plus like if you fall down even like a 2-1 lead like it's it's hard like on to come back from that like still like it doesn't have to be like a 2-0 lead which is almost yeah like it did happen a couple times as australian open um, (laughs) in the later rounds which is not something that you see every day in a major but but Um, i I mean even if you were like 2-1 it's it's hard like it it, it still takes a lot out of you to like win the next two sets when you've been out there for like already two hours and a half so
1: it it, it is hard but i think the difference for me is less about that and more about the mindset because sure. in, in best of three, you can go in and aim for the lines. And if it works, you win. But in best of five, like it's too long. Like you can't you can't peak for three sets. Like there will be a lull. Um, which is why you never see anyone <laughs> blow jokuba turn it all off the court. Cause like you can do it for a set, but then you know, you revert to the mean or they start playing better. It's it's too long. Like you mm-hmm. can't, it's a marathon, so you can't sprint to the finish line. And I think because players know that they don't try. Um, and they go in playing more at their neutral level, and then they get destroyed by the top players because the yeah. neutral level is better. Um, but in best of three, you can go in with a crazy game plan um, or a really aggressive mindset, and you can sustain that for two sets on your best day. Um, so, um, it, and I think the I think the other thing is on on the double UTA, besides Serena, who hasn't played in a little bit, you don't have goat level players at the top. Um, but I do think that. Um, that's probably less of a factor than the format to be honest
0: yeah because i think the the difference between the wta is that like we don't have goat level players but um it's more consistent they're more consistently high than at the atp whereas like in the atp you have like a great goat level players um and then we have players who are very far away from that so like for example um may maybe not goat level but she's really good and a lot of players out there are really good too and in in a very subjective comparison because that doesn't really exist. I feel like everyone in the top ten is better than the top ten in the ATP, except for Djokovic and Nadal. Like if yes. you, if they were, yeah,
1: and, and and maybe Medvedev. Um, yeah, I would I, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, like on on average, the level in the WCA top ten is higher. Yeah, for sure.
0: I was I was just watching the highlights between, um, uh, Sakari and Contavate. Mm-hmm. and. Of course, again, it's it's highlights. It doesn't give the full picture. Yeah. But I kept trying to imagine... Because Sakari has a dreadful record in semifinals. Um, and she has, I think, only won one title. Yeah. And I was figuring, like, is there something that she's doing wrong? And I, I don't think she did anything wrong in that match. This is like, Contave just like played massively, incredibly well. And it just came down to a couple of points here and there. And that's that's how she lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I feel like it, when it gets to that point what are you going to do? Like, what can you improve? You have to really sit down and improve on minor details here and there. It's like, what could I have done in that point that could have made me, got me a little bit ahead in that score at that time. And you try to do that next time. It's not necessarily like you pick a medvedev and it's like, okay, you need to start learning to volley right now.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, you have so many players on the double UTA who are kind of just technically perfect. Like, um, like serve serve well enough return really well forehand great backhand great like yeah. you have so many players like that i mean is there in the top 10 is there a player who has like a weak side i mean bardi um doesn't have a great top spin backhand but she protects it so well with the slice mm-hmm. and i feel like like everyone else up here kind of does really well off both sides like i mean you have players like Savalenka who can spray errors um but they but they have like that Ostapenko type easy power, um, mm-hmm. where they can also blast winners. So I feel like that's it's very different from having a bad backhand. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean
0: I guess I'm, i would only say probably Sviontek needs to improve on her serve, but that's the weakest right, spot right. I would say probably. Yeah, the top 10, I mean, but... I
1: think um I think a few of them could improve their serves, yeah. but um but I mean like like from the ground, they're they're all so good. And then um and in the atp you can easily pick out like bad sides i mean um you have tt Foss's backhand end, backhand Rublev's backhand even um and and, and the second serving issues yeah and second serve or yeah. like they or they can't return not like they're not great at returning they are bad at returning um and you have nothing like that in the wta um yeah. I mean, you were you were talking about Sakurai. I'm I'm really excited to see how she does this year because I feel like her only problem is maybe nerves, like when the yeah. finish line gets close because she's she does everything well. Like she's maybe the fittest on tour. Um, great serve. Um, like no issues from the back of the court. Um, I feel like I, I mean, and this was another thing where you saw the best of three versus best of five thing. At the US Open, she made the semifinals, she was in great form of the top four probably the favorite at that point to win um to win the title and then she goes in the semis against raducanu who peaks for an hour and it's over like yeah. that's it like you're yeah. out um and that would not happen in best yeah. of five.
0: and like, it's it, yeah i think i fully agree with you on that especially because you take raducanu and she did really well like six love six four um at that point um Sakari started playing a little bit better. She was at least like trying to stay in this match. Like, she had another shot and another set. Maybe she could have turned that match around. Um, yeah. And maybe Radokan would have like lowered her level a little bit because um, that would have been another set that she needed to reset and go back on court and do, and do well. And at some point, like the streak would have to be over. So like, I guess you could say if Sakari had played better in the first set, this could have been a different match. But she didn't, and that, and, and that completely gave away, like, for Tirado Kama to just keep doing what she was doing and, and finishing the match early.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, like, little things that make the difference as well. Like, if you're down a set and best of five, the second set, in the literal sense of it, is not a must-win set, right? So you can mm-hmm. play with a little bit less pressure, especially if you're more experienced and seated higher and fitter. Um, but in best of three you have to win so like it's scary you know you're not serving to stay in the set you're serving to stay in the match so maybe you make more errors and that sort of thing um like i mean players will just play differently when there's a different finish line um i think that was something ben rothenberg said a while ago um Mm -hmm. like when i first got on twitter and it it annoyed me at the time um but like i think i think since then i've kind of come to see like it's right you know best of five matches are just different from best of three like you players pace themselves um and yeah mm-hmm. it's it's upsetting that there's this divide because um that has its origins in a bunch of men deciding that women were not capable of playing best of 5 um like a long time ago that is obviously not the case like it could they could play best of 5 um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean and it just creates these very different dynamics
0: yeah and they already did right in the time that like back in the 80s and early 90s i think that's when they did like last less like the wta finals used to be played like the final was a best of five for like a couple years and now players are so much fitter there would definitely be able to they play three hour matches all the time yeah (laughs) i
1: mean um like they're super fit i mean like and and the difference makes no sense like women run marathons like yes like they don't they don't do 20 miles instead of the marathon. Like there's, there's no reason for this. I mean, I think, um, from the player's perspective, I would understand being annoyed if you were just told Roland Garros is going to be all best of five, because that's a big difference. Um, and that's a difference you have to prepare for. So I think if it were to change that change would have to be handled, you know, gradually or, um, or tactfully. Um, but like in general, the, the notion that they would be incapable of it is insane. Um, Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I'd like to see it. I, I think the best switch would be um, for both tours: first three rounds best of three, last four rounds best of five. Yeah. And that way, like scheduling is not an issue. Yeah. You get long matches between the best players. Yeah. Um, and, but in the early rounds, you also have it so that the um you can have upsets because yeah. you know Djokovic and Nadal are not ever losing in the first. I can round
0: only I figure. can only imagine. Um, I think if they ever start trials, I think it's going to be in the final round because it's on different right. days. So I think the scheduling makes it a lot easier for them to do it. Right. Um. So I think if we're going to see something in a Grand Slam to change, I think it's going to be a five-setter in the final of a Grand Slam. I'm not sure if this is the ideal <laughs> scenario because uh-huh. you, played, you already play six matches in over two weeks and then all of a sudden you're playing like this five-set match. It's pretty disconcerting i guess like uh, difficult to adjust to that i would say um but it, it could be the option that they look at at first um which i would already be up for because i think that i think it would be i think it would work not ideally but it, it would be at least a trial and we will at least at least see it happen um, yeah i mean so yeah
1: um that that makes sense with the scheduling i mean i think um if it if the option were like presented to the players and they voted and decided they didn't want to do it. Like I, I would be fine with that. Um, yeah, for sure. But I'd like them to at least have the option, um, because I, I think Juan Jose, when we had him on for the U.S. Open, said um, the women are being like deprived of this format, and I, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's, it's very different to be a top player and know that you can be displaced by the world number one hundred in an hour, um, and and if you're a top player on the men's side, that's a very different increased type of security. Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially because the number 100 is probably going to cramp by the end of the second set. Anyways. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. That's another thing is like yeah. physically um, like it takes a lot more development on um for best of five, which is why you get these 18 year olds like, I mean, not Alcaraz because he's a freak of nature, but do you remember <laughs> that first rounder between uh, Djokovic and Rune at the US Open? Yeah,
0: um, that was the one that came Rune, to my mind.
1: Rune was cramping at one all in the third set. Like yeah an hour and a half into that match (laughs) like that's i mean when that happens literally zero percent chance of winning like if you if you can't get through two hours of tennis without cramping you will not win it's impossible um if you're playing best of five so (laughs) like again that's another difference like um i mean someone like sakuri who's as fit as it gets is not going to be fully rewarded for right. her physicality. Um, like, you know, if that match against Radu Kanu was maybe his best of five, maybe she ends up yeah. running her into the ground. Um, maybe Radu Kanu doesn't have the gas to close that out. So, and I'm not trying to take anything away from what Radu Kanu did at the U S open because it yeah. was absolutely I mean, it's insane.
0: it's what it is right now. So she did. Yeah. Yeah. She,
1: yeah. Did, yeah, she, she did According was, to incredible. the format,
0: it is, this is it. So, yeah, yeah
1: it was, um, yeah. I mean, um, like there's no other path available um yeah but I do think if that tournament were best of five it would look very different
0: yeah for sure and speaking of Raducanu I guess like this is transition between from this uh massive how can I say high level tennis conversation but uh-huh. um going back to the weekly um thing how, what do you think Raducanu's um performance is going to be this week
1: um sorry, I'm just gonna look up where she's playing. i've not been um, she's in she's in Doha
0: like okay, wait, no yeah Guadalajara top seed I oh, think yeah. the playing number two se- yeah um
1: i I really don't know to be honest I yeah. mean I think um it wouldn't surprise me if she did well, but i think I think more likely she'll probably lose before the final
0: mm-hmm. i
1: think um I think she really still lacks experience um like there's not a problem with her game really um or at all. It's amazing, uh, perfect when it's on. But she's still so young and has still played so few matches that it's gonna take a lot of time before um before she'll be ready to be a tournament in, tournament out contender, I think. And that's not yeah. criticism at all. Like it's really, yeah. really hard. Um like I think I, I mean, I think pretty much everyone recognized at the time that the US Open was kind of this anomaly and it was like glorious and amazing and fantastic but it was still an anomaly um mm-hmm. so yeah i think probably she'll lose before the final what do you think
0: yeah i was thinking she could either again like we we never know with rather but i think we, we're getting more and more certain that it's not going to be a blowout like the us open anymore mm-hmm. so i think that she could lose by the semis or quarterfinals um I th- did, you, did you check the draw does she have a bye in the first round?
1: Um I don't think so. Okay. So yeah. It, 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 it's a 32-person. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. a quarterfinal yeah, would so be two no, matches. Bye. Yeah. yeah.
0: So a quarterfinal would be two matches. she if she can win two matches and make a quarterfinals, I think it's already good progress. She hasn't really won many back-to-back matches in a while. Uh-huh. Um so I think if she makes a semifinal, then that's pretty solid
1: yeah um I, I, i'm just looking at the draw, and we have uh sariva stormo was playing first yeah. time since australian open um wow. I, I was waiting for this i think she's defending I, champion by the way <laughs> that's right yeah because she beat Bouchard. that was um that's yeah. the first match of hers i ever saw part of um mm. and i only saw the end so i didn't really yeah. grasp her style or anything i'm so excited to see how she does this year by yeah. the way she's i think she's ranked 32nd um yeah. i mean which is great I mean, and unlike a lot of players at the top of the WTA, she does not have the peak level um, that can beat anyone. Yeah. Um, but she's so steady. I, I can't wait to watch her play again.
0: So much I fun. think I am really excited to see. Um, I, I wish Sariba Stormo gets get a rematch against Raducanu. Oh, I feel yeah, like she's going to be that. stoked to play her again in a tournament uh-huh. that she's defending champion at. So.
1: Yeah, that, yeah. That, that would be great. I hope those two play. I mean, yeah. Sariba Stormo was the third seed. And I don't have the draw, so it would either have to be semis or final. Um mm. I'll, I'll, I'll cross my fingers for that. I mean, um Sarivas, Tormo, and Kostiuk at the Australian Open was a really fun match because um, because they were just playing like 30-shot rallies. I remember yeah. them <laughs> on set point in the first set. They played a 29-shot rally that Kostiuk won with a winner, I think. And then she just kind of like put her racket on the court and leaned on it, and then her other hand was on her leg, and she looked like some greek statue or something uh like a or like a warrior it was it was insane tennis and i was um i mean i was gutted that cerebus Stormo lost because i wanted to watch like her play a bunch of matches um hmm. but it was really really fun
0: yeah cerebus Storm was an interesting player in that yeah it's i feel like it would be scary to be against her it's like oh god like if what if she's like yeah. peak defending level i it's gonna take forever to win this match <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly point even. like um
1: like that's always what i think the the mindset is playing her like it's you fear her but it's a different kind of fear it's not that you think you can't win the match it's just like this is going to be a long day at the office you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> like that that stack of forms that you have to fill out every year and yeah. it takes forever um and it's exhausting i mean yeah she she's one of the most unique players on tour because she has almost no firepower uh no serve but returns crazy well defends crazy well um and hits with a lot of topspin um and she can do it forever because she's a machine um i mean it's like soccer level of fitness or or better probably like she's one of the only players who's actually like weaponized physicality um like she wants to make every match attritional um like if if murray still had physicality like that then what what he would what he plays like now would make more sense um yeah sorry to the murray musings people possibly (laughs) listening to this um But yeah, I mean, and so that makes the the clash of styles so much fun because whoever she plays against needs to try to hit through her because they're not going to be able to trade moon balls with her. Like that's that's a losing proposition. Yeah. Um, So it's like, can they focus the power and blast physically? Um, And it's so much fun when it's close.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess we covered a lot of ground, though, like today, right? Like, we would talk Akras and Felix. Right. And
1: We're ranting about Wimbledon.
0: And the ATP, after all.
1: <laughs> that, yeah. it's, a,
0: it's, it's a very classic Tennis and Bagels um, episode. We could just be sitting at a cafe, having a nice meal, and just chatting about tennis forever. So Yeah, yeah
1: ho- hopefully we can do this in person at, like, the National Bank Open at some point. That'd
0: yeah, that would be pretty sweet, actually. So Yeah stay tuned for that maybe that's gonna happen soon <laughs>
1: yeah who, who knows yeah i mean there are some matches that i'm excited for i mean yeah like if sorry best is was playing i will watch or if alcaraz is playing i will watch but like i i don't know i mean between um right after a major i'm not super excited
0: yeah i'm excited for monte carlo
1: <laughs> yeah man, me too i mean um like again i'm just not feeling it with with the sunshine double like i don't mm-hmm.
0: I think it's partially, one, because Indian Wells basically just happened, and two, Miami was mm-hmm. disastrous last year. Yeah, so.
1: that was bad. I mean, um, WTA was great, because um, th- that was my real intro to Serena yeah. Stormo, because she played this insane match against Andreescu. That was like the Andreescu renaissance as well, because she beat Muguruza in a really tough match. And oh, yeah, he was. In a really yeah. Tough match. And I feel like she had another one on top of that, and Sakari saving six match points against Pagula. And then Bardi beating yeah. everyone because that's what Bardi does. Yeah. Um, and could
0: beat Sakari as well in that.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was like multiple tie breaks or something. Yeah, Th- This was back when um, people were debating whether Bardi was the rightful number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember arguing with people about that. But yeah, I remember um on the ACP it was bad. I watched the final between Sinner and Hergott, and that was one of the worst tennis matches I've ever seen. I was taking notes and I was just like, after a while, I was like, I I can't do this. Like this is yeah. I have nothing to work with here.
0: Yeah, should do a podcast, especially to say to to discuss which match was worse, if it was Monte Carlo final last year or if it was a um, Miami final.
1: Monte Carlo was bad. I think I even life blogged Monte Carlo because I thought yeah. it might be good, and that was a bad experience. Ruble, I've never had a break point.
0: Ruble has never had a chance. Like it's he was just not
1: there in that it was- final. It was tragic. I remember yeah. um, the first game he actually played really well. And and Foss was surfing and it went to Deuce. And then after that, it was never that good again. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sad. Yeah. Um, I mean the clay season last year was really fun though, yeah. all things considered. Um mm-hmm. at the breakout of Krajikova. Um oh yeah. The, that Krajikova Sakurae's final or semi-final at Roland Garros was really good. Uh nine was. seven in the third. Yeah.
0: I was really, I'm, I'm really excited to see, um, final set going to distance again. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's a rare commodity these days. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, like a
1: twelve ten final, right? And, and one that's not twenty four twenty six. John yeah, Isner. it doesn't have to go that far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least now if Isner wins Wimbledon, it's not, it's not going to be like thirty twenty eight in the fifth set of the final.
0: Hey, everyone. So me um, you know, and just kept chatting for a long time, and uh, by the time that we closed the call, and uh we went on with our lives um we never said goodbye so um here i am in editing time saying this goodbye because otherwise you would just feel like there's something wrong or that we had cut the episode wrong no there is nothing wrong we just completely forgot about it it was a good tennis chat so it just ended so yeah goodbye see you next time